Welcome again to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We're so glad you guys are with us. Anybody connecting with us online, we are so glad that you have found us there. We are in a series called The Gift. And we've been talking about the preparations for the gift and all that God had to do to provide this gift for us and uh, what it cost him to do that. And that's part of what we're looking at again today as we talk about today the reality of the gift. Now, I want you to be looking in your scriptures. We're going to get to this in just a moment in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a very traditional Christmas passage there in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You can open up your Bibles there, pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. We'll get to that in just a minute. As I was preparing for this message, I started thinking about the idea that sometimes our perception doesn't line up well with the reality of things. And I got to thinking about things that are advertised that look good on the advertisement, but when you get them, the reality doesn't match up to the expectation. So there's this little thing, you probably have heard of it, the internet, and uh, there's this thing called Google, uh, and I, I Googled this idea. Here's what I put into Google. Uh, I put uh, not as advertised in Google. And it brought up a lot of different things, like some fake ads and false ads. But it brought up this one site that had pictures of things that looked good maybe on the front end in the advertisement. But in reality, turned out not to be quite as advertised. Okay, so I wanted to share a few of those with you. Here's the first one. You see, the package says supersize are supposed to be aliens. Now, we don't really know what aliens look like. But look at the reality of what these balloons look like. <laughs> I think they printed them upside down, don't you? Not quite as advertised. The ad looked like they were going to look like that, but in reality, that's what they look like. Uh, not, not very good. Here's the next one. Now, you have to look really close, but that's a berry loaf. <laughs> and true to the advertisement, they got one berry in the whole loaf. If you get one in there, you can call it a berry loaf. There you go. Berry is singular or plural. You can take it either way. And in this case, it was singular. All right. Here's the next one. That's supposed to be a panda ice cream pop. That's the package cover and the ad. That's the reality of what it looked like. Not as advertised, is it? Pretty poor representation of a panda there. All right. All right. Next one. Supposed to be a six-foot green Canadian pine tree. Look at that ad. Look at the label. And look at the tree. Not as advertised, right? Not at all as advertised. That's pitiful. That's, that's a Charlie Brown tree there. Here's the next one. That's supposed to be St. Nicholas candy. And all they did was put the wrapper on the old Easter bunny <laughs> candy. Not as advertised at all. I don't know who at the factory thought they could pull that off, but that's pretty bad. Here's the next one. Look at the package. The package says strawberries. And what do they have in the package? It's not strawberries, that's for sure. 
I'm thinking it's blueberries, but I don't know for sure. But it's certainly not strawberries, not as advertised. At least on that one, you could tell right away in the store before you purchased it. And this one. The picture on the advertisement has a man climbing with the rope. The warning on the package says, not suitable for climbing. <laughs> not as advertised. Now, that's in really small print, by the way, the not suitable for climbing part, with a picture of a man climbing with the rope on there. And this one. Now, I know that's not the actual picture. It's in the advertisement that the frame comes with this. It's got my dog and dog paws and prints all over it. And they sent it out with a picture of a cat in it. Not quite as advertised that you're honoring your dog there. I, I'm tempted just to order that one and put it up at the house just for fun. Yeah. People would wonder about me more than they already do. Right. And then this one. Hershey syrup, now you got to look close on this one. It says plus calcium at the top, like it's got added calcium in it. If you look at the little ingredient label, calcium, 0%. Somebody forgot to add the calcium to the added calcium Hershey's syrup. Still has 0% calcium. But then there's this one. Beautiful painting done by a famous artist of the nativity. And I think what we've done as the church throughout the years is we've made this into something that's not really the reality. Look how beautiful this is. The light shining down. The animals giving their attention to the baby. They're in the stable. Now, it does show a cave-like stable, which is most likely the kind of stable they had there. That's somewhat reality. Shows the shepherds coming in. They look pretty clean-cut, well-dressed. One of them is even playing an instrument. And look at the light just coming down on Mary and Joseph and the baby. Look how old that baby looks in the portrait. The baby looks like he's already a month or two old. And then the halos over the baby and Mary and Joseph, they have glowing halos over them. We have so romanticized that event that we have forgotten the reality of that event. We have so made it this thing that we have lights and trees and presents and celebrations with family. And almost every Christmas movie on television has made it this time where everybody starts thinking more about others and doing good things and, and how hearts melt and how it's all about the children and love and everybody doing the right thing. And Jesus isn't even mentioned in hardly any of them. And we've had things happen like a fire at a home and the, and the family lost everything in the fire. And we say they lost Christmas. They, they can't have Christmas now unless somebody gives them some gifts for their kids. Only then can they have Christmas. That's not the reality of Christmas at all. 
Gifts are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. And some of the kids in here are sweating it. Say, Pastor Randy, please don't convince my parents <laughs> not to give me gifts for Christmas. That's not what I'm trying to do here. We give gifts and we have tree and lights and all of that at our house too. We've celebrated that way. But the danger with all of this is we forget the reality. And this celebration for us at Lakeshore, I want it to be more than ever this year, a time when we come back to the reality of Christmas. What's it really all about? And what was that first one really like? So today we're going to look at several different individuals in the Christmas story in Scripture and talk about what the reality really was for them at that first Christmas. Let's begin today with the reality for Mary and Joseph. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The reality for Mary and Joseph. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. By the way, I love how in Scripture, the critics don't like this, but I love how in Scripture, the gospel writers, the writers of these Scriptures, give us a lot of detail that they didn't have to include, like that in parentheses, the first census while Quirinius was governor. Well, here's the cool thing. Archaeologists have been able to find things from that area that list Quirinius as the governor at that time. Isn't that cool? And, of course, we have records of Caesar Augustus during that time ruling Rome. So the Bible is just giving us all of this evidence we could check on to see how accurate and true it really is. Well, here's what he goes on to say. Everyone went to their own town to register. Now, that's a little unusual, but that's the way he decided to do this census was have every family go back to their ancestral home. It's kind of like a lot of you or maybe traveling for Christmas, and you say things like, we're going home for Christmas. Well, you're probably not going home for Christmas when you say that. Your home is where you live now. That's your home. But what you're talking about is the home I came from, right? My, kind of my ancestral home. Now, it may not even be your ancestral home, uh, except for one generation, right? For, for where you grew up, but, but you're still calling that home. Well, for for this time, it would be their actual lineage home, their ancestral home going all the way back that they were going to travel to to register for this census. It says in verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. So you see how this worked? If you go back to genealogies and you trace it all the way back, Joseph was in the line of David. In his genealogy. Now, the town that is the ancestral home for that is Bethlehem. They lived, their home was in Nazareth, but they had to travel to Bethlehem for this registration for the census. Now, the census was being done so that the Roman government could be sure they were collecting all the taxes they needed to collect. I mean, if you can't count everybody and find everybody, you can't get their money. So he wanted to be sure he was getting all the money he could from every family under his rule. And so they had to travel to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Notice how casually that is said sometimes. Yeah, she, they're engaged and she's going to have a baby. And they had to travel over to Bethlehem. It says while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And how do we depict all of that? By that beautiful painting of Mary and Joseph and the animals all gathered around and halos and lights and music. A beautiful holy night, right? Silent night. If you've ever been around for the birth of a baby, it is not silent. <laughs> it is not a silent night. And oftentimes not a holy night either. During the time of the delivery of the baby. But think about the reality for Mary and Joseph. You see, you back up a little bit. They were engaged to be married. We don't know Mary's age, but most scholars believe she was most likely still a teenager at this time. That's the average age that they would get married at that time in that culture. So she's probably a teenage girl engaged to be married to Joseph. Both families are excited about it. You see, when they had an engagement then, it was a formal thing. It was. It was big. Both families would be involved. Both families would agree to the marriage. Both families would help with the preparations for the wedding that was coming up. It was a huge deal. They didn't live together before they got married. They followed the law of God, which said you wait till you're married to come together as one. By the way, that's still God's teaching for marriage today. And here they are following God's plan, right? Doing it the way God said to do it. And an angel appears to Mary first and says, ah, God has chosen you for a special task. And we romanticize this too. The Holy Mother Mary, who's going to be told by the angel that she's going to have the baby. And she says, oh, I'm your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And that was the humble response that Mary gave. But the reality was her whole world was turned upside down. Just like that. She didn't know how Joseph was going to respond to this news. Because she's not going to be with a man. She's going to be having this child through the Holy Spirit. A miraculous birth. And so she's got something that's happening to her that God has revealed to her that nobody else has ever seen or heard of or experienced. And she's got to try to tell them what's going on not knowing how anybody's going to respond to this. Would you believe that story if your daughter came to you with it? I hope not. I hope you wouldn't just say, well, yes, got to be God, right? You wouldn't have done anything wrong, would you? Of course not. And yeah. these are just human beings like us. Everybody's going to doubt the story. And most of all, she's got to tell Joseph. Now, any man engaged to a woman and they've done it God's way and they've remained pure going into this and preparing for the wedding, to be told that she's pregnant now would be 
would be a total turning of his world upside down too. But God knew how hard this would be for Joseph, so he supplied an angel that went to Joseph too and said, now I don't want you to be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. This is from God and it's of the Holy Spirit. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. She hasn't been with anyone else. This is going to be a special miraculous birth that God has prepared for throughout all the ages. And the amazing thing is, is, is Joseph is convinced by the angel and at first, he wanted to divorce Mary privately, try to keep this from being such a public humiliation thing. But after the visit of the angel, he decided, no, we'll, we'll do this God's way. We'll submit to God's plan. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph both, every time they were around family or friends or out in public with this story, how people would roll their eyes and shake their head and whisper behind their backs, sure, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, sure. Yeah, we believe that one, right? You know how people are. You see, they've had to live with that the whole pregnancy. And Joseph probably had friends who were telling him each other, maybe not him. He sure is gullible, isn't he, to believe that story and marry her anyway. How gullible can you be? You see, they thought he was really not real intelligent in his response. They had to live with that whispering behind their backs and that shame and accusation that was being made behind them the whole time. Probably some people right to their face, but certainly a lot of people whispering behind their backs. But they make it through to almost time for the baby to be born. Now, you know what it's like preparing for the birth of the baby. Any of you that recently had a baby or you remember the experience from before, you know that there's a lot of preparation. You try to get it all lined up, get everything ready. You've got the people that you want to be there with you when that happens. You've got the people that are going to help with the delivery. You've got it all lined up where the baby's going to be born. And then this order comes down from Caesar Augustus in your ninth month of pregnancy we got to travel over to Bethlehem. You see, Mary was also from the line of David. You can trace her genealogy. She's from that genealogy as well, which is a fulfillment of prophecy, by the way, one of those messianic prophecies. And so both of them were from the line of David, so both of them would go to the same town to register. So they've got to travel nine months pregnant from Nazareth over to Bethlehem, which was going to take a little while because they didn't have you know, a limo that could pick them up and take them over there. They didn't have a way to get there quickly or easily. They would have to walk and ride on the donkey the way they normally traveled then. So in the middle of being nine months pregnant, they have to make arrangements to travel over to Bethlehem. And the roads would not be great. They'd be okay. But for any of you that have traveled while late in your pregnancy, uh, it doesn't matter how smooth the road is, you know, any bump, any little discomfort, it's not good, right? It's not a good thing. So you travel all the way over there. But here's the thing you have to know. Bethlehem is a small town. At that time, most people believe only a few hundred population. But now everybody historically that's from the line of David has to come where to register. Bethlehem. So what's the town like right now? It's packed with people. 
And there was no way to call ahead and make a reservation. Right? You couldn't do that. You couldn't use one of those apps or sites that you could go to and book it ahead of time and shop for the best rate. You just had to get there and try to find the room. Now, I like to travel like that. My wife does not. She's a planner. I like to just show up and see, do you have a place? If not, we'll go somewhere else. No big deal. But no, my wife wants it lined up. And I got a feeling Mary wanted to have it lined up too, but you couldn't do it that way. You just had to get there and see. So they went to the inn, and you probably know this part of the story. They went to the inn, and the innkeeper says what? We don't have any rooms left. Now, I want to say this again. I've said it for a while. The innkeeper gets a bad rap most of the time in this story. What were the chances all the rooms were full? Really good. And if all the rooms are already full, can you invent a room for somebody that just showed up? No. So he does the next best thing he could do. He says, I've got this stable that we use that people who come to the inn put their animals in. I'll be happy to try to put you there and make you as comfortable as we can there. You see, he was going out of his way even to do that. And could he have any knowledge at all that that was God about to be born? No, he had no clue what was about to happen there. So he does the best he can do and puts them out in the stable. Now, the stable probably in that culture, in that town, the way the, uh, the land layout was, they often would dig into the side of a hill, like a cave dig out there, to make a stable, a shelter for their animals. It was an easy way to get some covering and some warmth and, and out of the elements to go into the side of the hill there to cut and dig that out and prepare a place. Now, if you want to depict it as a wooden stable, that's fine. It doesn't matter. There probably were some wooden stables around too, but most likely it was a cave-like structure. Okay. Here's what you have to remember. The inn is full. So what's the stable going to be like? Full. It's going to have a lot of animals in it. Now, the inn probably wouldn't have been a really big inn. It was, a lot of times they were just homes that people, kind of like we do Airbnbs today, all right? It, it could probably be something like that. That's the way a lot of the inns were uh, around that area at that time. They would just open up rooms in their home, and they knew a lot of people were traveling and coming. And so they filled up every room they had, however many rooms that was. But all of those people probably came there with animals because they had traveled there from their town they had been living in to come to Bethlehem. So you've got probably this not real big stable, but a whole bunch of animals already there. And Mary and Joseph probably had an animal with them. So you add one more animal and Mary and Joseph and her nine months pregnant into that setting in that stable. Understand this, no facilities in the stable. For humans or animals. That was the facility for the animals. So what was the smell going to be like in the stable? Not real good. Not real good. Do you think this was at all how Mary planned to have her baby? Do you think when she sat down with her family and said, now this baby's going to be born and here's how it's going to happen. I want to be in a stable with smelly, stinky animals. That's how I want to do it. Of course not. That was not their plan. It had never been their plan. And I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling 
that in her heart and mind, she's beginning to question, did I really hear the angel right? Because surely God would not bring the Messiah into the world like this. It seems so unprepared. It seems so last minute. It seems so not royal or holy. Like we picture it in our portraits and our paintings. I don't think there was any glowing halo in there. I think there was a stench hanging over everything when this baby was born. So while they were there, the time came and she gave birth. That's a nice way of saying she went into labor and had contractions and the pain got worse and worse and the contractions got closer and closer until she and Joseph all by themselves had to deliver this baby. Not at all what she had planned. Not at all how she had pictured this in her mind. Not at all as advertised as she thought when the angel said to her, you're blessed among all the women in the world, Mary. You're going to give birth to the son. That's not how she pictured any of this, I'm sure. But what had she said? I'm your servant. Be it done to me according to your word. One of the things I think we all need to be reminded of is how we complain to God so much about stuff in our lives. Even in the church, even with things about the church, we criticize and tear down and complain because it's not what we want. Our advertisement and our mind says it's supposed to be this way. But God does it a different way, and we don't like it because it's not as we thought it was advertised. It's not as we thought it would be. And so Mary and Joseph, the reality is this is one of the hardest things they've ever done. It was scary, surprising, confusing, in some ways humiliating. I mean, here they are having a, their first child in a barn with the animals. It was painful for Mary, maybe for Joseph. When Sue Ann had her first baby, I was holding her hand. They had me back there with her, and it was painful for me too. I never knew that woman was that strong. She squeezed my hand and took me to my knees. Yeah. I thought I was a pretty tough guy. Not until I saw her have a baby. I, that's tough there. All right, that's strong. A woman having her baby, that's nothing stronger than that. This was a hard, painful, costly event. Do you think they had saved up money for a trip right before the baby was born? But here they are having to travel. Pay to stay somewhere. Pay to eat. Right? They didn't, they weren't, that wasn't in their plans at all. Well, what about, secondly, the reality for the shepherds? It says in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Well, wait a minute. They're seeing the glory of the Lord. It's beautiful, right? If we painted this one, what would we have? Angels all in the sky and great light shining, and they're singing praises to God. But it says they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He, he is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord's told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And we make it like, oh, what a wonderful thing for the shepherds. And it was an amazingly wonderful thing that they would be included. But you have to understand their first response. They were terrified. That word terrified, you know what it means in the original language? Scared. <laughs> they were really scared. You know why? Because in their minds, what they had been taught over the ages was when God visited through, sent his messengers, the angels, oftentimes it came with judgment. A pronouncement of judgment on somebody or someone so their first thought is like a lot of people think of God today he just wants to zap me because I've been bad right that's what God's like well that's what they're thinking too the appearance of an angel is not a good thing this is a bad thing we're in trouble it's kind of like when the principal shows up at your classroom and calls your name right when you're in school I want you to come to my office that doesn't sound like a good thing does it well the angel appears and they're terrified but the angel says I don't want you to be afraid I've got good news for you. In this town, you're just outside of town here on the hillsides probably with your flocks that you're caring for. See, they are on the night shift, shepherds. Uh, shepherds would oftentimes work overnight with the sheep, protecting them because at night they were even in more danger of being attacked. And uh, they were out there taking care of their sheep. And this, this message comes that there was a Savior that's been born in town, in the town of David. They would know that's Bethlehem. That's what that town is. That's why they went there to register, right? They were from the line of David. He says, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, these shepherds, you have to remember in that culture, shepherds are the blue-collar workers. They're not the, the high-end professionals. They're not the ones, they wouldn't have a lot of money. They wouldn't have a lot of stature in society, in the community. They would be thought of as good, hard-working guys, you know, good old boys, pretty much, but just hard-working guys, blue-collar collar workers. And here the angel says, God decided to come to you and announce the birth of the Messiah. And we read over that and we don't understand the impact of that statement. You see, all their lives and all their father's lives and all their grandfather's lives and go back as far as you can to the time of the prophets, they had all been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. That was their hope that they had held on to throughout the ages that God was going to deliver them. And especially now in that culture with Rome dominating them, with Rome ruling over them, in their minds when the Messiah came, he was going to deliver them from the rule of Rome and they were going to have their own kingdom and their, he was going to be the head of their own kingdom. So they've got all this idea of what this is going to be like. And he says, well, this Messiah that God is sending, he's actually just been born. He's a little baby. And where are you going to find him? In a manger. So where's a manger going to be? 
in a stable with the animals. Does that sound like the way God would announce the birth of the Messiah? The appearing, the coming of the Messiah? That you could go see him, but you got to go find him. And here's how you're going to know it's him. It says he's wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Wrapped in claws is not the sign. Every baby would have been wrapped in claws. That's the way they, they bundled up every baby right after they were born. This is something we still do today a lot of times. The sign was you're going to find them in a manger. Well, that's not where you normally find a baby, is it? How many of you right away put your baby out in the, the feeding trough for the animals, right? Right? I hope you didn't. I don't think anybody did that. We probably don't have a feeding trough for your animals, do you? I got a little dog plate for our little. We got a little Westie. We got a little. It's got water and got a water bowl and a and a food dish. Couldn't lay a baby in that very well. But they would have stables with mangers, and a manger would just be a trough like that that you would put hay in for the animals to eat. So they said you're going to find the Messiah in a manger, and they got to be thinking, well. What family was this kid born to that they got the baby in a manger, right? What kind of planning did they do that that's how it ended up happening? I'm sure they got all these questions stirring around in their heads, but, but they said to each other, we need to go to Bethlehem and check this out. Now, I think it's partly because of the wonder of the heavenly host that just really enthralled them. They thought, yeah, we got to see what this is. But I think it's also just, uh, I'm not so sure we've got the story straight. We better go check this out. This doesn't sound right to us. And the other reason, I think, is why would God come to these shepherds out on the hillside and tell them about this? I mean, if we were announcing the birth of someone really important and famous, and this child was going to be the most important ever born, wouldn't we announce it to Caesar Augustus, wouldn't we announce it to Herod, the ruler of the Jews at the time? Wouldn't we take this birth announcement to the influential people in the world? Wouldn't we go to the press with this and say, you need to announce this? Isn't that how we would do it? But God takes it to the shepherds on the hillside and invites them to come and be part of this. And they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Now, remember, Bethlehem's not a big town. It's pretty crowded. But they, they probably didn't have to search a long time in a small town like that. There are only so many places you could find a manger in that town. So they went to those places until they found a manger that had a baby in it. And they knew they had found the right place. It says that when they saw him, Lying in the manger, they saw Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph there? They just got through delivering the baby. They got things cleaned up, hopefully a little bit, because if you've ever been around the birth of the baby, it's a messy thing. And they got things cleaned up a little bit. And now they got the baby there in the manger. They're trying to get a little rest. Mary is exhausted. You know she is. She's just traveled all that way. She just gave birth, and she's worn out completely. And these shepherds show up at the entrance to the cave. He said, hey, guys, <laughs> don't want to bother you, but something happened that's really amazing. Uh, God visited us and told us to come find this baby that he's the Messiah, the Lord. Now, scholars can debate all they want about the reasons God did it this way. And I, and I think there's probably some truth to a lot of those things. But there are a couple of things I feel absolutely confident about. This was great assurance to Mary and Joseph that they had not misheard the angel 
that had come to her earlier and come to him earlier. You see, the fact that they said an angel came to them and told them to come see this baby was just reassuring Mary and Joseph, yes, this is God's plan. I know it didn't look like it. I know it didn't feel like it. I know it seemed to be something that God wouldn't do, but this is God doing this, and he's brought you to this place, and he brought the shepherds here. This is all part of God's plan. But I think there's another reason, too. You see, this baby, this Messiah, Savior, came for everybody. Not just the rich and famous, but the poor and the lowly and the middle class and everybody in between. Yeah, he came for the wealthy too. He came for everybody. And the fact that God would specifically speak to the shepherds and ask them to come see the baby was another evidence that he came for everyone. You see, for the shepherds, it was terrifying, terrifying and confusing and risky. You see, they had to leave their flocks to go check on the baby, go see the baby, see what had happened. Their livelihood depended on taking care of the flocks. But they understood something was more important than their job that night. Seeing this baby was more important. Coming to Jesus was more important even than their jobs. And I'm sure it was the most amazing thing. It says when they left there... <laughs> They returned glorifying, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. But notice the line he added there, which were just as they had been told. You see, they doubted what they had been told until they saw with their own eyes. It's exactly the way the angels said it was going to be. Again, God confirming that this is from him. His word is true. And this is the Messiah, the Lord. And so they were praising God. Well, we've looked at the characters in the main part that night in the story. The, the wise men came later. You know that, right? They're not there that night. They're on the way, but they're not there yet. They didn't get there until a few months later. But that night, I also want us to look at the reality for the father who had orchestrated all of this. In Revelation 13, verse 8, the second part of that verse, it says this about Jesus. He was the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You see, way back when God spoke the world into existence, what had he already planned to do? Send this baby to live without sin and then to become sin for us on the cross and take our place. You see, that's the reality for the father. As much as people are celebrating that child, what did God already know? He's the lamb that's going to be slain for the sins of the world. And as much as he appreciated the worship and the joy and the adoration of the night, when you already know in advance something awful is coming, don't you have some dread there? Doesn't it leave a place in your heart that aches a little? And this is a father who loves his son. And when he looked on that baby, he also saw the lamb. Nobody else that night probably saw the lamb, but God, the Father, saw the lamb that he was giving for sacrifice for all of us. 
In Isaiah, back in the prophet Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He knew that baby was going to have put on his shoulders the sins of every human being in the world. He was going to bear that burden on the cross. See, that's the reality for the father when that baby was born that night. It explains a little bit the words of Jesus hanging on the cross in Matthew 27. It's recorded in a couple of places, but in Matthew 27, verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it says Jesus became sin. The Father could not be in fellowship with sin. So the Father had to turn his back on the Son dying on the cross. And God knew all of that when that baby was born that night in Bethlehem. In fact, he planned it all. It was planned, but it was costly, and it was ugly. It was heart-wrenching, and it was the greatest act of love in the history of the world when that baby was born that night in Bethlehem. Well, let's think about the reality for the baby, for the son. John, in John's Gospel, beginning in chapter 1, in verse 10, it says this of Jesus, He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this baby was the creator of God. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine how frustrating it was for the creator of God to be limited to being a baby? Going from the one whom everyone and everything depended on to a baby who depended on everybody else. Can you imagine how frustrating that was for Jesus? You see, he was just going to be a baby. If he got fed, it's because he depended on somebody to feed him. If he got changed, it's because somebody had to change him. If he got cared for, it was totally dependent on somebody else's choice. This is the one who made it all, who sustained it all, who's now dependent completely. On the ones he created. The reality for the son was. This meant a total change for him. And he came knowing. He came knowing what he was coming to do. You see remember he was God the scripture says. And remember God had slain this lamb before the foundation of the world. So this is God here with us knowing why he came to be the lamb that would be slain. In Philippians 2 Paul tells us to have 
the attitude of Christ. Listen to what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. When did that happen? At the birth, in the manger. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, this Christmas, we need to remember the reality. The reality for Mary and Joseph, for the shepherds. The reality for the Father, knowing this was the Lamb. And the reality for Jesus, who humbled himself and became nothing and became an obedient servant, knowing that that obedience would take him to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating, painful, sacrificial death known to man. And he came as that baby for that reason. And he did it for all of us. That's why in Hebrews 12, 2, he tells us this, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And listen to these words. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the reality for Jesus was this was his choice, and it was humbling and frustrating and humiliating and sacrificial. But at the same time, it says it was for the joy set before him that he did this. You know what that joy was? You. Me, accepting what he did for you on that cross. Having the way made for us to go to be home with him forever. That was the joy set before Jesus that allowed him to come as that baby, knowing he would be the lamb that would be on the cross, sacrificing his life for us. That's the reality of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today, as we enter into this time of the celebration of this amazing event, help us to remember what the reality was for you, for your son Jesus. Help us to have the love and the gratitude we ought to have for what you've done. And while we celebrate with lights and gifts, and there's nothing wrong with that, help us to remember the reality is this cost you everything. For us to be able to celebrate what you've done for us. Father, we thank you for your indescribable gift. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who has never accepted that gift as you've invited them to do, that even today they would take that step to come and receive this free gift of life that comes through what Jesus came and did for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.